0: awesome awesome morning already i woke up at 350 this morning uh just i I wish i could have just preached at 350 i was just ready to go i did go back to sleep for a little while and then then got back over here and was ready to to walk through this this morning last sunday we began this series words from the hill in that this summer we're going to walk through matthew chapter 5 through 7 and we're going to examine these words that jesus spoke to this Random crowd of folks, crowd that had folks that were religious, non-religious, Jews, Gentiles, Roman citizenship, that had all gathered together, those that were physically sick, that were paralyzed, those that were emotionally, as we'll see through here, dealing with things, um, demon-possessed, had all gathered around to hear these words from Jesus, to hear, what does this teacher have for us next? How will he continue this movement? what will he do? Will it be another miracle? Will it be another teaching? Will he heal someone? Where did he come from? Where is he going? What's going to happen next? Last Sunday, we saw the beginning of this in Matthew chapter 4. We saw the outline of who's there. And then in Matthew chapter 7, at the end, we saw by what authority that Jesus taught these truths. Now, I don't want us to distance ourselves from that authority. I want you to see that these words that are coming, that Jesus is speaking to these crowds came with great authority, that it astonished those that were listening. It's not the words that if you and I were to start a movement, it's probably not the words that you would try to pitch to someone to try to join you. As we're going to walk through this this morning, you'll think it's not wow type stuff. It's not, oh, how awesome is that? I've got to have that. I've got to be a part of that. In fact, it's the opposite. Jesus is going to say to his disciples, he's going to lay this framework that since you trust in me, here's what I desire of you. Here's the character, the qualities, the community, the relationship that I desire and expect from you as followers of Jesus. Again, we clarified this last week. I want to make sure we're clear as we walk through this entire series. Jesus is not teaching if you do these things, then you become a follower or a disciple. He's saying that through your being a disciple, you have the desire to follow this framework that he's placed before you. So this morning, we're going to jump right into Matthew chapter 5. I want to read chapter 5, verse 1 through 12, and then we're going to come back and begin to walk through those. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12, says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you now many people maybe in your bible there's a little note at the beginning of that matthew chapter 5 that says the beatitudes I want you to know in the original language, that wasn't there, right? That's a Latin phrase that was kind of in, interjected there. And so we, we hear these be attitudes. and even if you're distanced from church, you may have heard of these type of teachings of Matthew chapter 5, but there's a word that repeats there that we've got to make sure that we're coming from the same perspective on, because there's a lot of ways you could use this word. It's the word bless, blessing, blessed. Now, when somebody sneezes, you say what? Bless you. Bless you. If someone loses their keys or their phone, you say, bless your heart, right? Right. Translation is, I'm glad I'm not you. That's In the back of your mind, there's a part of you that's that's thinking that. Then there's the sincere ways of using it. You hear somebody going through difficulties and you look at them and say, man, just God bless you. Can I help you? Can I take care of you? And then if we look around in, in culture and in teaching, we hear false ways that this is used evil, false teachings that use this. If you give X amount, God will bless you with this amount automatically, every time. Then you also hear people say, well, they must be really godly because God has blessed them with a lot. And usually what that means is material possessions. So let's make sure that we're, we're moving through with this word "bless" or blessing on the same page. I could go on, we could fill in the blanks. I'm so blessed because, and you would fill in that blank. God has blessed me this week by somebody has done something for you. I thank God for blessing me with a great, might be a great father, might be a great influence, a great someone in your life. But this morning, I want us just to see real simply, blessed here means fortunate, happy, content, all right? To be fortunate, to be content. Now, I want us to see this morning, I gave it for you in the worship guide for you. You can use this as a little bit of homework, a little follow-up to this if you'd like to do that. I listed for you these characteristics, these qualities that Jesus outlines for us. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted, If you were to take this home this afternoon and grab your device or however you you study, it might be old school, like a dictionary thesaurus, all right, paperback, and you may open that up and look and do some searching for synonyms, do some antonyms, look for things that are opposite of the ways of teaching. Now, here's what you're gonna find. Pride, you're gonna find self-assurance, power on display, shows no weakness, do whatever you wanna do to make it to the top, Don't let anybody persecute you or put you down. If you just take these and flip these, you'll see exactly what the majority of teaching teaches in 2018. Do what you've got to do to be on top of the next guy or the next person so that you can get what you deserve. If you research self-help on Google or Amazon or you go shopping for a book, you you take out, you go look for that, you're going to find millions of ways for you to say, I'm going to be better than somebody else. This is opposite of what Jesus is starting his movement with. And what I want us to see this Sunday and next is that before we start working on our conduct, before we start addressing anger, before we start addressing our habits in our homes, and our relationships, we've got to begin with our character because character is going to precede your conduct. Character is going to precede your conduct. It's going to lay the groundwork for you to act on, for you to build your relationships on. And that character is going to be on display here in Matthew chapter 5. He starts off, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you Google the phrase poor in spirit, you're going to find 165 plus million websites. Do you know how long it takes to examine 165 million websites? I I didn't do it, all right? I I just looked up a few. I just clicked on a few phrases, a few pages, just to look at some of the teaching. And one of the things that commonly happens with this phrase, poor in spirit, is there are those who like to separate the words poor and spirit. Please don't do that. Poor describes spirit. Some people take this verse and they strip it of the word spirit and they say, blessed are those who are poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. This is not social theology here in this moment. I don't mean that means that we shouldn't address those issues, but I don't believe that's the context that Jesus is addressing here. He is saying, blessed are those who are weak, humble. If you look up synonyms for those, maybe inadequate, feeble, broken. Blessed are the broken in spirit, crushed. As I was researching, I found an article by John Piper in 1986. And he writes this about an experience he had about the phrase poor in spirit from 1978. I don't remember much of last week, more or less things that happened to me eight years ago. And he says this, back in 1978, I spoke in Aspen, Colorado to a gathering of InterVarsity students and people off the street. At the end of my talk, one of the students asked a very common question. He said, isn't Christianity a crutch for people who can't make it on their own? My answer, he said, was simple. Yes. As you can imagine, this was not the answer that the student was expecting or looking for in the debate. He looked at the student and he said, since when is a crutch... A bad thing. Now let me walk you through this for just a moment. In in the uh the late 80s, early 90s, I was in college. All right. It's been a few years. Nineties, I was in college, Mars Hill College. And uh, if you don't know much about Mars Hill, it's up in the mountains above Asheville, North Carolina. And it's not really named because it's hilly, but it should be, all right? It's just one hill after the other. There's men's hill, there's all the classroom, there's women's hill. That's the way it used to be. And you had to go back and forth. My, one of the years at school, I tore some ligaments in my left ankle. And so I had to use crutches. There were 120 some steps from my dorm. To my classroom, and so what I had to do is I had to get a set of crutches. Anybody ever had to use one of these? Raise your hand, Crutch people. Crutch people. You have armpits of steel now <laughs> forever all right that 's what these things will do for you. But you know what when I had these crutches, when I was in college. While I was annoyed that I had to do something else to get to class and while it was hard and while it made me sweat and it was tiring, you know what? I was thankful for this device because I was broken and the only way that I could get to where I needed to go was to put something underneath me to carry me. Now here's what I want you to think about. People have asked you the same question. If they haven't, they will. So isn't your faith just a crutch? And you can look at them and say, absolutely. And here's why. Because I realized that I was broken in spirit. And I was sinful. And I was without a relationship to a holy God. And that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, as a payment for my sins. And I've given my life. I've become humble before Him and trust Him with my eternity. And He's come underneath me. And he carries me every step of the way. So yeah, he's my crutch. Because I'm broken in spirit. You see, when we we think of a movement, we don't think of someone saying, blessed are those who are broken in their spirit, who are humbled in their spirit. In the last service, we sang, in Christ alone. And there's a line in that song that just talks about no fear and death and I was about to jump out of my skin this morning because I knew what I was about to preach and I know about being broken in spirit. And I was thinking about this moment and it makes me think of in when Jesus was teaching, when Jesus was confronted with people saying, listen, who are you really here to teach anyway? And Jesus says, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but Sinners. So yes, I'm broken in spirit. But do you know how hard that is in in any culture? It could have been in eighty thirty. it could be 2018, it could be 2058. Do you know what that requires? That requires people realizing they've sinned and being broken by their sin and admitting their sin to a holy God and saying, I trust you as my Savior. And you know what? That may be you this morning. You may, with all of your pride and all of your self-assurance, find yourself sitting in this room this morning, but on the inside, you're crumbling. And I just want you to know, if you will become broken in spirit, if you'll trust in Jesus as your Savior, your reward is the kingdom of heaven. Take him as a crutch. Put him underneath you. Let him carry you each and every day through your brokenness. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He begins to say in verse 4, he continues, he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, I want to examine this phrase from two sides this morning. Because we said last week, I stated every week we're going to see how does this relate to our character? How does this relate to us in our community? And how does this help us grow in our relationship to Jesus Christ? I think this is one of those opportunities It's both this morning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When I was much younger, uh, a movie came out called The Lion King, and it had a song in it that was called what? I'm sending it to you. You guys get it with me, all right? Akuna Matata, right? What a wonderful phrase. Akuna Matata. Go ahead. Ain't no passing craze. It's our promise-free philosophy. Akuna Matata. What a pile of lies. <laughs> really. Or if, if you don't like Lion King, Disney movies, let's go with uh, Bobby McFerrin, 1988. Don't worry, be happy. Another song of lies, all right? Because if you live in this world for five minutes, you'll know it's broken and you'll know it's not the way it's supposed to be. If you're in this room this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you can agree with me on that. This is a broken world. It is not as it should be. And one of the things I hear people say all the time to me and I hear it in the church and I think we could just begin to just push this out is believers, when they're going through difficulty, when they're going through trials, they'll say, oh, I just gotta be strong. I I can't let somebody else see me be broken. It's a pile of lies. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Because there's a promise, for you shall be comforted. You know what mourning does? Mourning takes every pretense away from who you are. We've recently gone through a season of mourning, and you know what? When I mourned, I wasn't a preacher. When you mourn, you're not a school teacher. When you mourn, you're not a mom. When you, when you mourn, you're not a business successful business person. When you mourn, you're not a business owner. When you mourn, you're not a guy on the factory line. You're not a sibling. When you mourn, you are equal. You are broken. And everybody in this room, if you haven't been yet, you will be broken. And you will mourn. It's biblical we've got to change our perspective on mourning far too long this is viewed as a weakness i spoke last week that these words from the hill are going to mess us up at times and rearrange some things i think this is an opportunity because i believe if we can learn to mourn together as a body of believers then we will experience authentic community I believe one of the foundational ways that we can impact our families, our relationships, the relationships outside of these walls in a community is when our community hurts, we hurt with the community. When our small group hurts, we hurt. We mourn together collectively. And at times, here's what that's going to mean. At times that means you're going to be the one mourning and you need someone to pour into you. At other times, you're going to be the one that's filled and is going to need to pour into someone else. What that means is at times, you're not going to be able to hide from your mourning, and at times, you're going to need to sacrifice and give to someone else. But blessed, fortunate are we who mourn, for we will be comforted. Now, I think this is personal and relational, But I also want you to see that it's spiritual. In the Old Testament, do you know what turned and moved the heart of God to begin to do miraculous things in the works of the Israelite people? After being enslaved for over 400 years, you know what brought their cries to the heart of God? Their mourning and their brokenness. It moved, it challenged, it zoned in the heart and the movement of God when what? They cried out when they mourned. If you're a a believer in this room this morning, we need to still be about mourning our sin. We gotta gotta be broken by our sinfulness. We can't store it away hoping maybe one day we'll, we'll figure it out. But you can mourn you can cry out to the lord when jesus was there at the tomb of lazarus and he was weeping do i believe he was weeping because he was friends with the people at the tomb yes do i also believe he was weeping because he saw the pain of sin and death yes he also knew what he was about to endure upon the cross And he knew that through the mourning he could comfort through his death and resurrection. Every year we get together at Easter and we have, well, 1,500 people gather here and we celebrate and we're excited, man, Jesus was raised from the dead. Every day of your life as a follower of Jesus, you can mourn your sin and you can be comforted by the fact that Jesus Christ died and conquered sin and death and was raised from the dead. Blessed are you, who mourn for you shall be comforted yes you can be comforted by the believers but greater you can be comforted by the truth of who jesus is for each of us we are ultimately reminded man when i'm broken when i'm mourning do you know that what i'm acknowledging? I'm acknowledging to people around me, things are not as they should be. This is not how it should be. It's broken. Something's not right. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, something's not the way it should be. For you will be comforted. We mourn, we're comforted. We grieve, we're comforted. We grieve our sinfulness and brokenness and we are comforted. Don't miss this. We're comforted by the cross of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If the disciples weren't not scratching their heads yet, the Pharisees would have. Right here. That's not a definition of Pharisee's life. Pharisee life is stand on the corner, let people know and hear our prayers. When we give an offering, let it hit the pan really hard so everybody knows how much I'm giving. Let it be a public display of my relationship. And Jesus is saying, blessed those who are meek. Meekness, Aristotle said, was meekness is power and strength under control. It's not weakness. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Meekness reminds me and is a constant reminder that I am nothing outside of jesus i don't have anything to stand on except through my relationship to jesus it lowers me to a level of serving others with meekness because i didn't do it god did it he blessed he gifted he called he established if you want to examine your level of meekness are you teachable ask yourself can i be taught can i learn new things From someone else? Am I meek enough, strong enough to listen to someone else and admit that I don't have all the answers? That's painful to say, isn't it? On Father's Day, fathers, that's painful to say, isn't it? Meekness is saying, I don't have all the answers. I'm I'm willing to listen. Meekness is often learned when a person admits an area of weakness grows in an area of failure. A meek person doesn't want all the credit. They also don't want to project false humility. Poor in spirit, mourning, meekness. Verse 6, before I start verse 6, I know we read through verse 12 and some of you are already checking your watches going, man, I got Father's Day lunch. We ain't never going to make it, all right? We're stopping at 6, okay? So breathe. Don't check out on me though, all right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Fortunate are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The contrary teaching of the day is, happy are those who are pursuing happiness. As long as I'm happy, as long as I'm getting what I deserve, the way that I expect it to come my way, then I'll be happy. I've said it before that we live in a culture that is surrounded by the gospel of me. As long as it serves me, pleases me, honors me, helps me, then I'm happy. That is not the fortunate stance that Jesus is talking about here. In fact, I would like to flip that upside down. Because many of us, if we live our lives just thinking, I've just got to get to the next stage of happiness, you'll get there and then you'll find yourself empty again. And I'm not stating that just because I'm rambling. I'm stating that from years of watching and walking through brokenness where people have said, and they've moved from one thing to the next, I'm happy here, I'm happy in this marriage, no, I'll be happier in this relationship. I'll be happy here, no, I'll be happy at this job, no, I'll go over here. I'll be happy with this amount of money, no, I need more. I'll be happy as long as I'm happy. Can I just say this? I'd rather you be holy than happy. I'd rather you be pursuing the character that will lead to the conduct that will bring joy in your life rather than the other way around. Because if our hunger and thirst is aimed at happiness, you and I will end up empty. It's a guarantee. But if we hunger and thirst for the character of God, Scripture promises us we find satisfaction and peace. And some of you are searching. Some of you are looking. You're hungry. You're thirsty. You're trying happiness. You're trying this. You're trying that. I want to call you to be hungry and thirsty for the character and the teachings of God. C.S. Lewis once said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. This is you. As a follower of Jesus Christ, if you find yourself not content with the surroundings and the things that, quote, bring happiness in this world, in your life, that is a great feeling because in that moment you realize I'm not made for this world. I'm just passing through. If I hunger and thirst for the character of God, we find satisfaction and peace. I want you to see a couple of things here this morning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you've ever been in a dry place spiritually, if you've ever found yourself in a spiritual rut, if you've ever found yourself just wondering, what's taken place, I, I, I trusted in Christ, and now I just I found myself in a in a in a difficult stage. There's been some problems. There's been some ups. There's been some downs, and I, I, I'm still searching. I'm still looking. Have you ever thought yourself in that moment to be fortunate? I think you're fortunate in that moment because you have a relationship to Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit lives in you and is convicting you that you're not alone, that you, he's not done with you, that there's more that he would desire out of you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Fortunate are those who are, hung, who hunger, who are hungry and thirst for righteousness. For you will be satisfied. Satisfied. couple questions here, you can answer them. They're pretty easy, all right? How do you quench your thirst? It's not a trick question. How do you quench your thirst? You drink. How do you quench your hunger? You eat. Guinea-Bissau is a place that we have grown to love as a church over the last 10, 11 years. It's in West Africa. Um, God has blessed us with opportunity to to plant um, four churches in different villages in that area and uh, got I've had the opportunity to go three times to Guinea-Bissau I, I heard somebody say this morning they've been nine times to Guinea-Bissau uh, they have a residency card all right, in Guinea-Bissau that means you go a lot all right and uh, if you've ever been to Guinea-Bissau though you know this for breakfast you get bread and coffee for lunch you get whatever you brought whatever protein bar or jerky or whatever you brought for protein you eat that for lunch and at dinner you, you get this conglomeration of rice and then we bring over these camp meals and we add it all to it and they water it down they feed the 5,000 all right I mean it, it's just not real tasty food and so when we land in LaGuardia or uh, Newark New Jersey and we're flying back to Atlanta and we land listen I am hangry <laughs> all right I am hungry I do not want airplane food if you call that food, all right? I don't want airplane food. I don't want a protein bar. I don't want jerky. I want meat, and I want it then, and I want it now, and I want a lot of it. If you've never been on a mission trip and you don't understand that kind of hunger, maybe you understand this kind of hunger. Anybody ever been on prednisone? Oh, yeah, you've been hungry. You've been hungry, and you've opened up the pantry, and you've just been in rage. all right? I don't know what's in here, but I'm going to eat it. I'm going to find it. I'm going to put it down. We know how to solve physical hunger. You eat. And as I was listening to several other pastors, they all said the same thing. And so I just want to say from them and from me, if you're spiritually hungry and you're in a rut, eat. For heaven's sake, Quit looking around and quit spinning your wheels saying, well, I'm just hungry, I'm just thirsty. Eat, drink of his word, eat of his word. Take it into your life. And you say, well, pastor, I don't know how. Awesome. If that is an honest confession, and I mean none of this with sarcasm this morning. If that is an honest confession, then in the bulletin, there is a tear off slip. It's a guest slip. You don't have to be a guest to do this, but if you'll write your name, and you'll give us a way to contact you, an email address that works, all right? A, not your scam one, all right? A, a cell phone number that works. And you just write on there, I'm hungry. Because you don't know how to eat. We'll look through those tomorrow. We'll connect you with some people that will teach you how to eat. All right? All right? I'm going to give you every excuse, I'm going to try to answer every excuse this morning why we're not eating spiritually, why we're not feasting on the things that will develop the character of God in our lives. Say, Pastor, I don't understand the ESV, the one you preach out of. Get a different translation. I'm okay with that. I've never studied the Bible before. Write down on the bulletin, I'm hungry. During the invitation this morning, there's going to be folks down here who all study the Bible, they all study it a little bit different ways, but in ways to glorify the Lord. You walk down front during the invitation and just say, I'm hungry. That's all you gotta say. I'm hungry. And they will work with you to sit down with you to teach you how to eat. Trust me, you're not the only one in this room that has desired to eat and drink that didn't know how and didn't reach out. So let's do it. If you hunger and thirst, for righteousness what does is the promise for you today for they shall be satisfied god desires to fill you up he desires to pour into you his word and his character and his nature so that your conduct will follow we can't address how we share jesus out in the world until we address how jesus has affected our character hunger and thirst for the character, the righteousness of God, for you shall be satisfied. You'll be filled up. So it's Father's Day. So fathers, we want to give you a present, all right? Fathers, if you could close your ears for a second. Not really, but um, we're actually giving it to everybody, but we wanted to make the dads feel special today, all right? So um, it's a present for everybody. One of the things that we were able to do this year because you've been faithful in your offerings and your giving is to sign on to give you something that in your home, with your phone, with your device, with your smart TV, um, you can... Learn to study the Bible and study God's Word on your own with other people helping you to do that. So, we've signed on with a, a, a group called Right Now Media. We've, we've worked through them and chosen some different resources and different tools. Um, you can use this in your small groups, you can use this uh, with your family, all these different ways for you to watch some things, to put some things in your heart, for you to learn how to study the Bible. And so, what I did is, is I signed up for my account for Right Now Media um, at richfork.com and Uh, went on there and I typed in how to study the Bible just on this thing that we're giving you there's 1,454 opportunities for you to study the Bible you hungry you hungry let's go eat don't tell me you don't have a tv or smartphone because you do you have U version you have bible apps you have blue letter bible you have all these things do not pose to me well pastor i just don't have the resources if you live in 2018 you have more resources at your disposal to learn to grow and get hungry and be fed and thirsty and drink than have ever existed in mankind so if you want to join up if you've given us an email address you have or you will get an invitation from us soon to join that, if you haven't because you gave us a scam email address, right, just a couple, half of you, all right, um, and we, you haven't gotten an email from us, then you can go to Rich Fork's website, just go to richfork.com, scroll down, click sign up. You fill out some things, whether you have kids, whether you're teaching a small group, whether you're a leader, whether you work with children, and it'll help you give you some resource to do that. So we want to push that for you guys to have some other ways to be a part of that, all right? So happy Father's Day, happy Mother's Day, happy other, Hallmark, present, whatever it is, day, all right? So there it is. We're giving that to you. We don't play Hallmark, all right? Uh, so we're, we're passing it on to you. And, and here's why. Studying the Bible, studying God's word, it is being hungry and being thirsty enough to say, I want to pursue the character of God. Poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hunger and thirst. You say, this doesn't sound like a kingdom. This doesn't sound like a kingdom that we would see making its way up the charts of the world and growing in an economy in the military. You're right. But here's what I know. Think about this. That 11 disciples sat around with Jesus, sitting on a hill with a large crowd of people from all different religions, all different backgrounds, all different social ministry needs, all present. And 11 of them believed this message enough that you're sitting here today. Their lives were changed enough significantly. They were called by Christ, obedient to Christ, so that they could impact generation after generation after generation that leads to you. They pursued the character that led to the conduct that led them to grow in their faith to lead others to Christ. And nothing's changed. Are we willing to take these words from the hill? To be broken in spirit. To mourn. To be meek. To be hungry. To be thirsty. And eat.